You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast. This is episode number 49, April 5th, 2022. Off-premise strategy, business continuity. How about a taste test of restaurant technology? drive through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu, cooking up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with a tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Welcome back to the tech chef. This is your host, Skip Kimple, and we are all here again today to explore the world of restaurant, hotel, and hospitality technology. I hope you've had a great week. I'm actually on the road at the New England Food Show today and will hopefully have some fun things to share with you from my time up here in Boston. It's a little chilly up here compared to Fort Lauderdale. We had a last minute change in our guest for this week's show, but I promise you, you're going to love this one. Our regularly scheduled guest will be on the show in a few weeks, so don't worry. Sherry Landry from CEC Entertainment will be well worth the wait. Today, however, is a special treat as Tim Tang joins the tech chef for a fireside chat. With a background in both engineering and human and organizational studies, Tim Tang has degrees on both sides of his brain. With over 20 years of professional experience in developing enterprise solutions, Tang is keenly interested in the intersection of technology and humanity. As a director at Hughes, Tang studies various enterprise markets, restaurants, retail, banking, and finance uh, to anticipate the trends that will enable enterprise customers to fully unlock the business value of technology. Most of you know Tim because he is the first person at any conference to raise his hand and ask his legendary multi-part questions as soon as the moderator solicits questions from the audience. Tim, how long have you been with Hughes? And you are currently the director of enterprise solutions over there, correct? I am. Uh, I have been with Hughes. I am going on 28 years in a couple of weeks, actually, now that I look at it. So yeah, I am almost 28 years here at Hughes. Wow. That's amazing. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty impressive career. I have to say that it's rare to find an individual that lasts that long in a company. Just just due to the dynamics of how the world works today. Um, I know years ago that used to be a very common thing to stay with a company that long, but um, today, you know, things, things change. So uh, once again, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I want to start off with a little bit of uh, inside information about you because everybody knows you from the conferences. You go to almost every single conference. I see you all the time. What's something that I would never guess about you? (laughs) well you know maybe in it speaking to the uh uh the longevity of my term at uh, hughes i think one of the things that uh, i would very quickly confess to is i get bored very easily and i think uh so it is rather unusual that i've stayed at one company for such a long time i think uh, hughes has been very generous to me every couple years I, i will reach a kind of plateau and they will give me the opportunity to kind of pivot and reinvent the position and do something entirely different and so the, the, the beauty of what I get to do today 
is to look at industries and look at how they're transforming with technology. And so I look at the restaurant industry, retail, uh, specifically C-stores, uh, convenience stores, uh, even banking and finance at one point. And so it's trying to understand how industries are being changed uh, by technology. Now, Tim, recently we were on a phone call together. We are on one of the uh, Restaurant Technology Network's uh, KPI initiative work groups. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, we had some great conversation, but you're kind of leading that group over there. Maybe I would like for you to talk about maybe a little broadly about what the KPI initiative work group is, how it was born, and kind of what we see or you see as an outcome from this whole initiative. Uh, a, a good way of thinking about KPIs in the restaurant industry is it's, it's something rather old. It's been there for quite a while. Every restaurateur knows that they, there are certain metrics that by which they need to measure their business and the performance of their business. I think that the new angle here, as we start to think about KPIs, though, is how do we operationalize them across all the, the different flavors, uh, types of restaurants uh, that are out there? And so it's, you know, restaurants, tours come in many shapes and sizes. Every one of them, they have very different business brands. Some emphasize food, some emphasize experience, some emphasize, you know, certain demographics and targets and the like. And so everyone has a different taste on how they're going to uh, engage with their uh, customer and their consumer and the like. And when we think about the operational details of a restaurant, there are so many metrics by which we could be uh, using. What we're trying to do here with the uh, RTN KPI initiative is to do a, kind of a broad uh, stroke of understanding of what are the key critical KPIs that kind of drive the restaurant industry. And then how can we actually create some standards, uh, a standard or uh, provide some structure or framework for understanding how to use those KPIs, uh, particularly as it relates to kind of smaller independent restaurant brands to help them operationalize the kind of the value of these KPIs. We are in an age right now where data is so critical uh, in terms of our ability to execute and to kind of fully uh, leverage uh, the, the uh, competitive advantage in, in the marketplace. But the problem with data is, is there's so much of it uh, that it becomes very quickly, very overwhelming. And what we're trying to do is provide some framework from some structure for understanding um, all of this data as it relates to the restaurant business. So it will be great as an operator, you know, I come from the operator side of it initially um, to have all of these KPIs at my fingertips because I'd have to say the most frustrating thing as a CIO is being requested to create a dashboard and you say, great, what KPIs do you want to measure against? And all of a sudden you see these blank looks in everybody's eyes because they're not quite sure how to answer that or how to get to the numbers that they're looking for. So I think the work that is going to be put into this and the outcome of it is going to be very, very useful and effective for the industry. Once this, you know, we've created this library of KPIs, uh, who's going to be able to get access to this? It'll be uh, available to the RTN community. And, and actually, that's kind of worth some commentary too in and of itself. The activity of developing these KPIs is taking advantage of the the all the different dimensions of the RTN communities from the restaurant tours from many different sizes uh, to all the different suppliers uh, who serve the restaurant community today from the new startups uh, to established uh, kind of POS uh, technology providers uh, too as well and so we're going to have a, a, a hopefully a very comprehensive understanding of of how to 
measure and, and what metrics to use uh, from many different perspectives of, of the RTN community. And then as we produce this resource, uh, we're, we're going to simply make it available. To, it will be made available to the RTN community as well. Well, and obviously, just as a reminder to all the operators out there, membership is free to all operators. So make sure that you sign up for the RTN. Obviously, this is not your first rodeo. What other work groups with the RTN have you been involved with? Oh, it's uh, been quite a privilege, actually. There's a, a number of active ones that are going on, labor and technology, uh, uh, some cybersecurity ones around point of sale, uh, too, as well. So I've had uh, the privilege of actually uh, serving and working with uh, a number of different communities uh, within the RTN. And each one of them, uh, the, this, uh, the cybersecurity framework uh, from point of sales uh, produce resources uh, that are available on the RTN website today. Now, Tim, it seems like you are such a student of our industry. What would you love to be an expert in instantly? Instantly? Uh, I would have to say uh, th there's two topics that uh, that consume me right now that I spend uh, the majority of my time thinking about. Uh, from uh, an AI ops perspective, I'm very fascinated by how artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, might be fully leveraged to kind of uh, unlock uh, kind of business opportunities that are latent within the uh, existing businesses today. And then I'm also very much uh, fascinated by the uh, cybersecurity uh, side of the business. It has such a meaningful impact uh, and, and relevance in terms of today's market context uh, too as well, in, in terms of um, opportunity, uh, but also risk uh, to the uh, uh, to all forms of business uh, today. So if I could pick two things to be an expert in right now that uh, at the top of the field, it would be uh, AI ops and cybersecurity. Now, now that it brought it to your attention, probably by the end of next week, you will be an expert at that. That's how you are. <laughs> That's how you roll. <laughs> um, we had an interesting conversation the other day where uh, some of the suppliers were talking about sales being really slow right now. And we were talking about why that was happening. You know, soft sales last quarter, inflation, food and labor costs, supply chain, the uncertainty of the war, you know, basic, you know, state of the industry, where do you see where we're at right now? And how do you operationalize it? You know, that's a, that's a tremendous question. Uh, and I actually appreciated the conversation the other day because I had just come out of a, a number of webinars and conferences, virtual conferences and the like, talking about these exact same things. And these kind of discussions actually provide a, a good forum for kind of, of, uh, uh, thinking through kind of the implications, it, it's it, it can be quite challenging, right? There, there. Are, if we look at the market context of what's been happening today, you know, you could probably create, uh, organize it by kind of like uh, main stages or phases, if you will, of of market evolution. All right, so we, we're just coming out of COVID, hopefully, uh, and, and that's had huge implications uh, for the, the the restaurant industry. It's it's created all kinds of market opportunities as an essential business. It's, it's created a whole kind of technology evolution uh, uh, in these uh, two years uh, too as well. And so as we think about that kind of winding down and things starting to recover, as we start to kind of open up our restaurants and, and diners are coming back in, th then we start thinking about, you know, what's happening now as it relates to the war, as it relates to inflation, um, some of the consequences of inflation, the, the rising fuel costs, you know, these things have direct impacts uh, uh, to the business. The rising fuel costs, you know, when you think about the restaurant industry's dependence on third-party delivery service providers, you know, when you 
dramatically increased the fuel costs. You've dramatically increased the costs of your primary method, of a primary method of delivering your food, your products uh, to your customer base. And so these kinds of changes, these kinds of market forces create some immense, meaningful pressures on the business. So we, we have one, we have inflation. Inflation was already making things more expensive uh, for the consumer. That means it's it's going to be harder now for them to pay more uh, for the luxury of, say, uh, some of the expensive delivery services that they were normally not batting an eye at. So now they're going to take another look at some of the fees that they're, the consumers will take another look at those fees and say, do I really want to pay those fees? And, and then we look at the rising fuel costs. That means those fees are going to go up. Then we look at the war. You know, some of the implications uh, that, you know, as I've been studying this that really strike me is the just the implication of losing a planting season of wheat in the ukraine and in russia and and all those fields of of we're, we're going to have rising costs of grain a rising cost of bread and over a very significant portion of the globe and and how is that going to affect the rest of the world and so that's going to further raise prices uh, too as well you know, and, and some of the signs of the implication of these changes are, are rather remarkable. You know, for the many years, uh, not many years, for the past couple of years, we've been talking about the, the great resignation. So many employees just exiting the marketplace because of the sobering impact of COVID or the pandemic on their lives and making them rethink, you know, what is really important to me. Well, with inflation coming up, with costs going up, so many of those employees now are coming back into the workforce. And so it's, it's created another pressure that's actually changing the direction of, of how of some of our societal dynamics uh, too as well. And so now we have, we, we, we're coming out of a, 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 of a, a void of uh, an inadequate supply of employees to employees now coming back into the workforce. We're coming into a space where everything is becoming much more expensive. So consumers are going to have to rethink, you know, their current purchasing behaviors and their, and their and the like. And it's in this context for restaurants, for retail, that we're going to have to start thinking through how do we maintain uh, a healthy business with all of in the in all in the context of all these uh, headwinds uh, to a large extent, and I think that's going to require some new thinking now. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, it seems like you know we kind of gotten used to uh, a COVID post COVID type world. Well, now we're going to need some even more new thinking as we start to think through of how do we deal with a war, inflation, and and rising bread costs. That's very well put. And, I, you know, dur certainly during COVID, it caught us all off guard. And I think all the items that you just mentioned could catch operators off guard again. And you know, especially if, if this is just the tip of the iceberg, we don't know. We have no idea where this is headed. Like we did in March of, of 2020, we didn't know how extreme it would get. And putting plans in place, having contingency plans, business continuity plans, you know, being able to plan around for the unknown worst case scenario, I think should be a skill set that people start honing in on and start making plans for. Because once again, you hope for the best, but you never know what's going to happen out there. You know, as you think about it, I think it's, it's going to require us to think about how do we create margin, uh, some, some space to adjust to all the, uh, high pressures that we're seeing in the marketplace. We're going to need to find ways to create margin, more resources, so that we have some ability to adapt and realign uh, our businesses uh, with 
wherever things may happen to turn out uh, in whatever direction they may go. And, and I think that's part of the reason why I spend so much time thinking about technology and thinking about how we might apply technology in ways to, uh, to, to create that space, to create, uh, to free up resources and to uh, try to create opportunities to improve the customer experience while um, increasing and improving and reducing our, our operational requirements or improving, improving our operational efficiencies uh, too as well. All right, let's lighten the show up a little bit. Everything that you've seen coming out recently from a technology perspective, right now, what are you most excited about from a restaurant technology initiatives, uh, products? Is there anything out there that's really catching your eye or a trend that's catching your eye right now? There's, there's part of me that wants to, to tilt toward the uh, the sexy stuff, the exciting stuff, robotics, drones, and the like. But uh, I'll tell you that what's really interesting to me is the simple, stupid stuff because it's it's that kind of stuff that I think is it's the, it's the automation that's taking place in in the back office it's the small things that operators can do to free up their ability and kind of going back to an earlier point of improve and increase it, it's it's remarkable to me how the the small simple stuff can actually be have a meaningful impact on on the business and I, i'm always fascinated by how you know what kind of actions what's the smallest action that i can take for the biggest uh, business benefit and so when i think about you know technologies and where they're applied it's you know it you know there's a lot of exciting things going on in in, in terms of digital engagement with your customers and the like but i think it's the the simpler kind of boring stuff that's taking place in the back office, the things that are are happening to kind of automate the paperwork to, to free up uh, the managers. I, and, you know, I, I hear restaurants, you know, talking about the a, a manager less office uh, where you, you really don't want to have, you know, any of your employees cooped up in some office, you know, doing paperwork to keep the thing running. You, you want to automate all that. You want to get all that stuff out of the, out of the brick and mortar, all of that activity so that everybody uh, on hand, and can be explicitly focused on on serving their customers because uh, uh, that's that that's what needs that's what people do best that's what defines the dining experience uh, to a large extent. It's true. It's so easy to get caught up in that shiny new penny out there and start to start to concentrate on that. And as my uh, my guest in, in the last show, Toby Malbeck, he was he was saying back of house. You know, yeah. the, the simple stuff. Back of house is sexy again. Because there's so much importance being put on the cost piece of it, the operational piece of it, the efficiency piece of it, that, you know, something as simple as back of house really is critical to an operation and um, you know, a restaurant. I mean, it doesn't sound like fun to talk about back of house, but it, it truly is a reality when it comes down to where can you help and where can you hone in and see data and insights in regards to how to save on labor costs and improve uh, the efficiencies of inventory and all of that stuff. There is a, a beauty uh, when you think about what's happening. I mean, so some of it is just kind of uh, block and tackle, meat and potato kind of stuff of automating spreadsheets and the like and, and automating your inventory management. But there's some also some pretty meaningful beauty and elegance to 
compensating for disrupted supply chains and being able to understand that, you know, I've got a limited set of resources and I've got a, a fixed amount of need that's out there. And how do I most intelligently, most efficiently uh, kind of leverage a, a very limited pool of resources for the biggest benefit across my system uh, too as well. And so there's some brilliant uh, uh, technologies that are being developed to answer some very specific questions in that space. So some of it is just this simple, stupid stuff, but some of it's also some very meaningful uh, kind of intelligent uh, AIML type work. Well, since you brought it up earlier, what are your thoughts on drones and robots? Where where are they at? Where's where's their place in the market? How long is it going to take to get there? I know that's a loaded question because that's probably a three-hour conversation, but i just like to get your overview on uh, what the reality of all that stuff is. I tell you that uh, my my thinking on this continues to evolve. Um, I would say that uh, drones, uh, for me, uh, they're great from our marketing perspective. And I think about like uh, some uh, so many of the conferences that I've had, actually multiple opportunities to hear uh, very similar case studies. I think Apollo Local, what they're doing with drones, really kind of crystallizes for me that it's it's a very powerful marketing technique to get an incredible amount of attention uh, to uh, to your brand uh, to a large extent. So I, I, I see the marketing value of drones. When I look at robots, I used to think of them as just kind of a, a nice idea. Um, I am starting to gain more and more respect, though, for uh, a lot of the things that they're being applied and used for. They're being used to make up for the fact that they can't get enough labor. They're being used to do the dangerous jobs that, you know, on the fryers and and, and the flipping, you know, at, at the grills that people often get hurt and the like. And so, and it's the simplicity of it. It's not as complicated as it used to be uh, to employ robotics uh, for that operational benefits. Uh, so it's, we are, you know, industries, not just a restaurant, particularly even grocery industry, for example, and looking at, you know, things like cleaning the floors and inventory management, the, the, we are starting to warm up uh, from a commercial perspective uh, to the large scale application of drones, uh, sorry, of robots. And I, I think that's the, the business case of, you know, where you can save, you know, even just a couple of hours of labor uh, across, you know, several hundred sites could be, you know, millions in savings, uh, particularly in today's uh, labor environment. When you think about the rising minimum wage and the like. All right, we're on a roll. So I'm going to hit you with some more broad topics here. What are your thoughts about ghost kitchens and virtual brands? Ha. <laughs> I, I think there's uh, some very interesting uh, potential there. I think it's, you know, when you look at uh, the, the restaurant brand concept, you know, one of the fundamental problems is, well, we are dominated by delivery. And one of the fundamental problems or limitations of delivery is your delivery zone. And, you know, you're typically limited to a 15-minute radius if you want to do, you know, multiple, uh, you know, uh, three, four deliveries per hour. And so, and there's just a practical limitation in terms of your food quality, in terms of how long you're going to wait for the food uh, as it deteriorates uh, too as well. So the only way to compensate that is ghost kitchens. It's it's a very powerful way to expand your footprint, uh, to uh, uh, expand your, your brand's uh, place. I think uh, the... Uh, attraction and the automation, the the consistency is, is very. The business model is is uh, very compelling. The particularly for a consumer base that is inclined to do third party delivery or is looking uh, for third party delivery too as well. I think the challenge uh, when it comes to ghost kitchens, uh, and particularly multi branded ghost kitchens, one of the things that doesn't get a, enough attention, I think, is 
the question of IP, uh, the recipes that are being deployed, and, and how do you maintain your brand promise to your customer base in the context of a multi-branded ghost kitchen and, and the like? That, you know, the same individual who's cooking your branded burger, your, uh, your, your flagship product, is also producing the same kinds of burgers for other or generic versions of the burger uh, for others uh, too as well. And, and how do you maintain that brand experience when you have these multi-branded ghost kitchens kind of ch uh, churning out a continual stream of you have essentially the same person making the same product uh, under a different context? Uh, a branded uh, pr uh, premium price or a generic, uh, a simple price. And so I think there are those kinds of questions that uh, restaurant brands need to be thinking about themselves um, in, in terms of what does it cost and what are they losing uh, when they start uh, pursuing uh, these type of initiatives. Yeah, I think culinary verification, obviously that's an important piece and and many virtual brands and um, ghost kitchen brands, they do that, but I think it needs to be taken to the next level just to ensure that the quality of, you know, the quality of their um, product is being delivered as advertised because one bad experience from one ghost kitchen, from one ghost kitchen employee that technically doesn't work for you uh, can actually damage your reputation pretty badly. It speaks to uh, another issue that we haven't talked about yet either, too, as well, is that when we start thinking about today's market context, you know, it's, you know, it's, we always talk about how, you know, culture trumps strategy uh, uh, in, in any and all cases. Your corporate culture, um, your employees' commitment to your brand experience um, gets lost when you're kind of outsourcing the production of your food and the the, the dining experience uh, to a, a distant third party. So you you, you want to, when we start thinking about, you know, what does it mean for a, an employee to, you think about this on, on many different fronts. How do you create a branded experience not only for your customer, but how do you get your employees behind your brand promise so that they are they are going the extra mile on behalf of your brand uh, to the customer too as well? Particularly in these ghost kitchen scenarios where that employee is really his their commitment, he she's commitment to the uh, to the kitchen is really to the kitchen, not to your brand uh, too as well. So the it begs some really interesting questions in terms of today's market context when there's a, a meaningful labor shortage too as well. So how do you keep employees committed uh, to your brand and also performing uh, to your brand standards uh, when they are in these kind of multi-branded type contexts? Since I've got your attention, I'm going to do a drive-by on one last topic here just to, get, just to see if you have any, any thought process in regards to cryptocurrency and how that is going to play out in the restaurant space of the future. <laughs> I, uh, I am intrigued uh, by cryptocurrency. I am particularly intrigued by what's been happening with the NFT uh, space uh, too, as well. I, I don't know that I don't know what's going to happen. I, I will, con I, I will freely confess that I watch this space uh, very much intrigued with its potential. Uh, particularly as we start thinking about, you know, what it is that we uh, are, are doing today in terms of the transition of today's kind of market context. I don't know. And, and I'm also thinking about the metaverse and how that, uh, what kind of experiences might uh, take place too as well. Uh, 
I, I think the short uh, of it is is that uh, I uh, you you just watch carefully. Uh, you you want to be ready to move uh, to see how quickly or how um, how things might evolve. It, there are clearly a number of roadblocks and stumbling blocks that slow down the time frame for adoption. You don't want to be too early because you you would uh, waste your investment and waste your limited resources on stuff that may not pan out for several years and the like. At the same time, you don't want to be too late either because uh, then you'll miss out on uh, the, the novelty factor, which gives the first movers the, their advantage. And you certainly don't want to be left behind uh, when it becomes uh, when the world becomes ready for a mainstream type activity uh, to as well in these spaces. Uh, so my best advice here is just pay attention. Uh, don't don't let it just uh, slip off your radar. Uh, it's all kinds of novel things are happening uh, as it relates even in uh, the restaurant industry as it applies to uh, the virtual contents, the metaverse uh, too as well, that there's there's a reason why people are, are trying to stake their branded uh, land grabs uh, right now. Uh, and so we just, you want to be paying attention, uh, pay attention to business as usual, but be paying attention to what uh, the future may untold. I wish I could jump into my DeLorean and go five years into the future to see what we'd be talking about. I think the, the advancement of the restaurant technology aspect of it and just where restaurants are headed in general from an operational perspective, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And it's an exciting industry to be involved with because uh, you never know what's going to happen from year to year. I mean, look at where we are right now and what we're talking about. Yeah, I was just going to say one thing there is that if we were able to jump five years, I think what would be also very interesting is to see how much doesn't change, how much of it is it's still about people serving people. It all comes down to hospitality. That's what we're, that's the industry we're in. <laughs> People forget that, but uh, that's that's the guts of what makes us all successful. Tim, what shows are you going to be attending in the near future? Uh, there's quite the lineup. Um, I think uh, there's a, a, a lot in place. So we're, we're coming off of uh, uh, a couple of interesting ones like uh, Food on Demand and Murtech, FS Tech from uh, last fall and the like. As I look at the spring calendar, there's a number in the C-Store industry uh, that I look at. That's actually a, another kind of interesting place. I just came out of uh, the National Grocers Association, the NGA show. Uh, and it's interesting to see the dynamics of other industries as they think about restaurant uh, too as well. Uh, so looking at how grocery is keenly focused on leveraging a lot of the same technologies, creating the same kind of experiences for the very specific purpose of fighting for that share of stomach uh, with the consumer. And then I've got a number of uh, C-Store industry uh, events that uh, you know, May is full of, uh, April and May are, f are full of them, uh, from uh, NAX, uh, from uh, uh, Conexus and other uh, industry events uh, too as well. Uh, I, the C-Store industry and their interest in uh, the restaurant industry in terms of prepared foods and engaging with their consumers. You, you look at their market pressures in terms of, you know, uh, the the the. Uh, improvements of mileage of cars, EV vehicles, you know, the C-stores are, and the decrease in terms of uh, their flagship products, tobacco and like, C-stores are running to food, prepared food uh, for their profitability uh, too as well. So you've, the, the, one of the interesting things about my role at Hughes is, is that opportunity to look at different industries. And what I see in the restaurant space is not just from the restaurants it's from grocery it's from c stores it's from other forms of retail that we want to be paying attention to as well wow i hit you up with a lot of information today and you provided some amazing insight and i appreciate that 
Uh, for Tim's contact information, make sure you review the show notes for this podcast and look him up directly on LinkedIn. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I know it's very last minute. That's the kind of guy you are, always there when somebody needs you, and you're always full of useful information to share with our industry. Skip, it's been a real privilege, and thank you for inviting me. Wow, he has such insight in our industry, doesn't he? I always enjoy the time I get to spend with Tim and his intriguing questions. I don't think his mind ever stops. If you'd like to reach out to me or to the show, you can do so via everything social at Skip Kimple or everything at Constrata. This includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can always get the show notes and all previous shows at skipkimple.com. And you can also hear all of these new episodes at the Constrata website at constrata.io. And of course, you can always email me your questions at skip.kimple at constrata.io. That's it for this week. I'll be seeing many of you at the Restaurant Leadership Conference in Arizona next week. I have several interviews lined up, but if you are an operator and would like to come on this show, reach out to me as soon as possible so I can reserve a spot for you while we're all out in the desert. Next week will be a recap of RLC, and we should be able to squeeze in a few surprise guests to say hello as well. Well, I'm off to have some clam chowder and lobster and enjoy my last day here in Boston. So until next Tuesday, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. Mm -hmm.